If you've got your Bibles this morning, we are in the book of Colossians. It's one of the little traditions that we have here is that one of our, one of the weeks that we do around Thanksgiving, we take and we have communion, which we will do this morning. And so we step out of our normal study. And my, my mind just ran back to this passage in Colossians about joyously giving thanks. Joyously giving thanks. Now, one of the interesting pieces that... Uh, sometimes gets a little confusing when we read scriptures to be reminded that when Paul and the others wrote scripture, they did not write it in chapters and verses, right? It was a letter. It was in paragraphs, but not chapters and verses. And so that came along later, about 1,500. Uh, some people set out to make it easy because like today, we're Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Can you imagine how hard it would be if we were, you know, just saying Colossians and then I've got to read you all the way there. You know, it's, it's so this makes it easy. And honestly, by and large, they did a great job as they broke it down of trying to get thoughts and tying them together and putting where the breaks are. But they weren't inspired like Paul was. And so every once in a while, you have one that I don't think they broke it right where they should have. And it gets a little confusing. And we see that here. In fact, we start reading verse, verse 9. He says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, to ask that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you would walk in a manner worthy to the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience." joyously, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Now the question is, where, what does joyously, that adjective, what does it modify? Does it look back to what he's talking about there in the previous verses, that you'd be filled with the knowledge of God so that this is how you might live. This is how you live on mission. And that you'd please the Lord and you'd be fruitful in all this. Or does joyously look ahead to giving thanks? And I'm going to argue, now I'll be honest with you, this isn't a big point. This isn't a point of salvation. We can agree to disagree. You know, if you want to be wrong, it's okay. Uh, but I would argue with you that joyously actually really goes with verse 12 and not verse 11. Because what he's talking about here is an, an emotional joy. Something that comes, that's not just in your head, not something that you just know to be thankful for, but it's something that you feel. And we experience the different types. Uh, do any of you at your home on Thanksgiving kind of go around the table and you've got to give something that you're thankful for? Or is that just my house? Okay. So... So often when we do that, you know, I'm sitting there scratching my head and I'm trying to run back through the year. And, and, and honestly, I'll come on those things and they're things that I truly am thankful for, but it's more of an intellectual thing. I remember them and oh yeah, that's really cool and, that, and that's great. But then there are other times when it's just something that you feel, right? You don't even have to think about it because it's just there. It's that, it's that thing that is just moving your heart. And this year was that year for me because uh, I got thinking early on, um, 
probably a month or so ago, I got thinking about, you know, my, my dad's journey that eventually led to him going home back in the end of August, 1st of September. And it was actually two years ago, right now, uh, 1st of October, he was diagnosed with his leukemia, and he was given a couple weeks to a couple months to live. And so when we found that diagnosis, we didn't even know if he would make it to Thanksgiving of 2017. And so our thought was, let's pray and work towards that end, and we're going to have this big Thanksgiving meal, and my sister and everybody came. The entire family was there, 28 of us, if I remember right. And it was just, it was a glorious time, and it was really good, but we honestly thought we were saying goodbye. And then God, in his infinite grace and wisdom, gave us almost two more years. Two more years to enjoy to say all the things you wanted to say to reminisce it was just and, and I've been thinking about this of just man how good God had been to us and so I mean it wasn't something I had to think about because it came from the heart and I think what you see here in this passage is what what Paul is talking about joyously giving thanks it's not just an intellectual thing that yeah we're thankful for and that's good But this is something, when you look at it, gets to the very heart and the core of who we are. And and I do want to say this, is that today, I I am specifically talking to those of us who have come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that he died on the cross for our sins, and we have put our trust in him. Now, if you haven't come to that point yet, maybe you're still searching, maybe you're still thinking about it, great, I got great news, you can experience it today. But the joyously giving of thanks is specifically for those of us who have come to have experienced that in our life. The first thing he says is joyously giving thanks. Notice there in verse 12, to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now before we go deep diving into this, let me just make one 10,000 foot observation. And that is everything that he is going to mention here is a result of God's grace. It's not because of what we have merited, but it's what God has done for us. In fact, look at, look at the pronoun. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Verse 13, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. This isn't about what I've done. This isn't about me having cleaned up my life. This isn't about me having merited something. This is just simply what God in his infinite grace has done for us. And what Paul reminds us is, is that he has qualified us. The word qualify there means to make us fit, to make us sufficient, to to get us to a place where we really don't deserve to be. And I was trying to think of what would be a good illustration, and to be honest with you, I couldn't come up with one, but in the, you know, the turkey stupor, I thought of this one, and it's it's not great, but maybe it'll give you the idea. So I grew up in central Illinois during grade school. And when you grew up in central Illinois, you were one of two people. You either were somebody who loved the Chicago Cubs and hated the St. Louis Cardinals, or you were one who loved the St. Louis Cardinals and hated the Cubs. There was no middle ground. Sadly, I was inflicted with the disease of liking the Cubs. 
right? Yeah, it just was sad. You know, and this, this is people, I mean, they're the lovable losers now. Back then, they were just the losers. There was nothing really lovable about them. But, but my dad loved the Cubs, and so I loved the Cubs. And so I can remember those days as a kid, and it was so good. We'd go to Wrigley Field, and, and those were just some of the best days of my life. Well, I moved to Ohio, still followed the Cubs, but ended up going to college in Chicago. And this is back in the day. I mean, you know, now you look at Wrigley Field, it's always packed. Man, this, this was, I'm not going to give you the dates because I'm really younger in person. Uh, but this, this, I mean, this is back before Harry Carey. I mean, the Cubs weren't a thing. So you go to the game and it was you and 2,000 of your closest friends there in Wrigley Field. And they were just really bad during this time. But I would work all summer so that I could save money so that I could go to the Cub games. And if you go to class in the morning, jump on the L, go to the game. It was great. And then I'd work all winter so I could do that in the spring. So I've told you the story. I met a guy by the name of Jim Chanel. He was a really well-known, the number one rock and roll disc jockey there in Chicago. Uh, accepted Christ. God brought him into our life. And uh, we got to spend a lot of time with him, help disciple him in, follow, in following the Lord. Well, Jim knew everybody. So my second year there, he goes, hey, do you want to go to opening day at Wrigley Field? Well, I mean, it's like a bucket list thing. And even when they were bad, you couldn't get tickets to opening day because everybody showed up that day. You could go the second day, but not the first. And I said, great, you got tickets. He goes, I don't need tickets. I said, why? He says, I know Wally. I said, who's Wally? Wally's in charge of all the ushers. Wally and I are just like this. So opening day, I go with Jim. We show up. We, we, you know, I'm thinking we're going to go up to a ticket. I don't have a ticket. We don't. We go. We find this little gate. I mean, it's a little gate. It is a one-person gate. And there are guys standing there. And we walked up. And he says, hi, we're with Wally. He said, great, come on in. I thought, oh, this is cool. This cost me no money. Then we, we like have the best seats in the house. We're sitting up on the catwalk. We're under the shade, but we get to see the whole game. It was incredible. I got to go to game after game because of Wally. <laughs> Even though I couldn't afford these seats, I, I, he qualified us. Well, here's the best thing about Jesus is Jesus qualifies us, right? We get in. We have a relationship with God. We have the promise of eternal life. Not because of what we've done, not because of the ticket that we've got stamped, but because of Jesus. He qualified us. And notice what he qualified us to do. He qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And when you begin to think about this inheritance, and I don't have a boatload of time today, but this inheritance is not like when somebody dies, you get an inheritance. This is just what you get for knowing him. It's, it's almost like the children of Israel, that God had this land for them. And, and remember, they went in and they cast lots to see what portion of the ground of, of the land of Israel they would get. And that's really what inheritance means, this portion of the lot. It's what do we get? And, and you start looking and you start thinking about what do we get just because we know Jesus. And the first thing we get is we get the promise, the assurance of eternal life. You remember 1 John 5, 13? These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. How many of you have believed on the name of the Son of God? You've accepted Jesus in your heart. Okay. What do we have? So that you may know, not hope, 
not guess, not think, but that you may know that you have eternal life. Part of our inheritance is that we live life and we don't have to live it in fear of death. When we mourn, we don't have to mourn as those who have no hope. Because part of our inheritance is we have the promise that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. How do we know? Because Jesus qualified us. Jesus paid what we could not pay. Not only that, we have precious promises and wonderful passage. I can't read it all. 2 Peter chapter 1. But he talks about how this... God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And then he says this, For by these he has granted to us precious and magnificent promises. You think about the promises of God that you and I, we've sung a bunch of them. There's more to come. Of all the good things that we've touched, there's more to come, right? There's more to come not only in the, in the world to come, but, but in this life. I mean, I think about that today. I mean, I, it's, to me, when it's, I've had 30 wonderful years, but there's more to come. It's good. It's part of the promise that we have in him. The fact that he's with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us as part of his promises. That whatever happens to me today or tomorrow, that I know that, that I'm in the palm of his hand and he can use that in my life to make me more like Jesus. It's part of our inheritance Part of our inheritance is that we already have the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, who lives inside of us. You know, one day we're going to go to be with him, but today he's come to be with us. And he lives inside of us to guide us, to direct us, to give us his peace, to give us wisdom. Those are the promises of the inheritance that, or, that we get today. But of course, part of the inheritance is to come. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled that will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You know, what's interesting as Christians, we often think about our inheritance that is to come and we think heaven. We think, you know, golden streets. We think, you know, all of this. <laughs> you know what Peter suggests? Peter suggests that heaven is just the box. Right, and you got little kids or grandkids, I mean the, the little ones, and you get them the thing and you, you know, you're so excited about it and they pull it out and they jump in the box, right? And the box is the thing that becomes so exciting to them and they play in the box and you go, play with the toy. Uh, but they, they like the box. Do you know that heaven is just the box of the inheritance that we have? It's reserved there. I mean, you think about the new body. You think about the, the relationship with loved ones that have gone on. You think about the land where it will never, never know death, never know pain. It's just all reserved in heaven. You think about the fact that we're going to get to walk and talk with Jesus. And for all of eternity, learn more and more about the mind and the wisdom of God. Man, it's just all all reserved there. And, and, and here's the thing. He has qualified us. We don't earn that. We don't deserve that. But he has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. By the way, do you know you're a saint today? Not because of how you live today, but because he has qualified. Do you understand why, why Paul says, joyously giving thanks? Joyously giving thanks. For he is qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints alike. The second thing he says is then in that next verse, verse 12. For he has rescued us 
He's rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Oh, by the way, have you noticed that all of the verbs here are past tense? He qualified us. He's not qualifying us. It's not that he will qualify. He qualified us. It's done. He's not rescuing us. He not, it's not he will rescue us. He rescued us. In whom we have today redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that's the beauty of it. We have been rescued from Satan's domain. I mean, you think of Ephesians chapter 2, who talks about us apart from Christ, that we were, we were by nature children of wrath, that spiritually we were dead. That, that by, by who we were, that we walked as an enemy of God. And, and yet, even in that state, God, who is rich in mercy, with his great love with which he loved us, he moved into our life. He rescued us. He rescued us. What's really interesting is many of the people that Paul was writing to at Colossae would have understood this because they were Jews who lived in Asia Minor. They didn't live in the land of Israel. Why? Because a couple hundred years before this, a guy by the name of Antiochus the Great had conquered the land of Israel and had deported many of the Jews there to, to this part of, of Turkey or Asia, Turkey today, Asia Minor. They understood what it meant to be deported. They, they understood what it meant to be conquered. His whole point here is, but we have been rescued. We've been taken out. We were in the domain of darkness. We who God created to have a relationship with him, we were overcome with, by, by, by this world. But now we have been rescued. And the beautiful thing is, is that he continues to use us to rescue people. In fact, to me, what, one of those great verses, but I think really misunderstood, is Matthew 16. It says, I say to you, Peter, that upon this rock I build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And I hear people all the time as Christians say, well, you know, hey, we're safe. You know, the gates of hell can't overcome us and all of this. And yet that's not what that verse says. It says the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Have you ever seen in any battle where gates of a city attack anything? They don't. When you attack a city, you attack its gates first because it's the weakest point. His whole point here is not that Satan can't get at us, but we have the ability to go in and to help rescue the captives that have already, have already been taken captive and they're in darkness. But we can go and we can take the good news of the gospel and they can see the light and they too can be can be liberated. They don't have to live under the power of sin. They can live with hope. They too can know the promise of eternal life because we have been translated into the kingdom of his sons. Now we become part of the family of God. We're his children. Remember what Peter said? 1 Peter chapter 2. For you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. That's who you are today. Not because of our merit, not because of who we are, but just simply because of what he has done for us, joyously giving thanks. Why? He's rescued us out of the kingdom of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his son. The third thing that he mentions here 
is then in that last, that last piece. Verse 14, in whom, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. His point here is this. The word redemption means to pay a ransom. We have been liberated from the penalty of sin. Our, you know, sin, the soul of sins that must surely die. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus stood in our place. Jesus bore our sin. The perfect one, as Paul puts it, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God. So Jesus, who's the perfect one, goes and hangs on the cross. God places all of our sin upon him. He pays the penalty. God is propitiated. God's justice is satisfied. The ransom has been paid through the sacrifice of Christ. We have been redeemed. We have been bought out of that slave market of sin. And not only that, our sins have been forgiven. And it's all of our sin. Not just the little ones. Not just the big ones. But all of them. Past, present, and future. They were all nailed to the cross. They were all forgiven. As the psalmist puts it, as far as the east is from the west, that is how far he has removed our sin from us. And, and you've got to think about this in the understanding of our, of our globe, right? Because if you start out east and you keep going east to try to find the west, guess what? You'll never stop because you'll continually go east. That's the point. As far as the east is from the west. And Micah puts it like this. He says, you will cast their sins into the depths of the sea. That's what God has done. And somebody's added, he put a no fishing sign right there. Because in him we have redemption, even the forgiveness of our sin. Not just the eh, sins, but the ones that you and I would just assume nobody ever, ever, ever know about. He's forgiven. The writer of Hebrews, quoting Jeremiah 31, put it like this, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. God has chosen to never, ever be reminded of our sin. Why? Because of Jesus. That's why Paul says, joyously, joyously, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, even the forgiveness of sin. And if you know Jesus today, that's exactly what he's done for you. And so in a moment when we take the bread and we take the cup, it's not just the intellectual, yeah, he died for me and I'm saved, but hopefully from our soul, joyously giving thanks. And if you're here today and you've not personally invited Jesus to, into your life, can I just tell you, there's still room for you. You see, 
it's not about jumping through hoops. It's not about making yourself good enough. It's not about trying to earn God's favor. It's not about taking communion so somehow you get this. The Bible says it only comes by faith. Believing that Jesus is God's son, that he died for you. If you just simply ask him to come into your life, he will qualify you. He will forgive you. He will transfer you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his glory and his grace. It's a wonderful thing. 